Welcome to the Game Mystery Podcast, featuring interviews with some of the most renowned authors and up-and-coming talent in LGBTQ mysteries, suspense, and thrillers. I'm your host, Brad Shreve, and Justine Adamick is here with her weekly recommendation. Before we get to Justine's review, I uh, want to let people know I've got Marco Romante as my guest today, and uh, he's going to be offering some deals that you can't turn down on his novels, so be sure to listen in on the interview. It's a lot of fun, too. He's a great guest. And Justine, how are you doing this week? I'm doing fine. My daughter tested negative for the coronavirus, so it's uh, it's been a good week here. Well, that's definitely a good good thing. Good news to hear. Hooray. Hooray. You know, you my know. my niece was the same thing. She was she works in a hospital and they were almost certain she had it. Yeah. Uh, but they weren't gonna test her, but her her condition got so bad that they did test her. And same thing, she didn't have it. So yeah. good news for both of us. Yeah, yeah. And and yeah. I hope all of our listeners are equally in the clear. Absolutely, and doing lots of reading. Yes. So who are you talking about this week? Well, I am reviewing another Lambda Literary Award finalist in the gay mystery category. And this week I read The Nowhere by Chris Gill, G-I-L-L. And this is a non-traditional mystery. It starts out in the present where uh, it's told through the eyes of Seb. And he gets a call from Jake, who he has not seen since they were both uh, young, and there's a secret. And so throughout the book, um, as he reminisces about his time, and the book cuts to the previous time, each, each chapter has a date, and you go from the present back to the, the previous uh, time period where they were together. And so every all along the way, he says, the secret will come out, the secret will come out. And so there's a lot of suspense building up before the secret comes back out and you figure out what the mystery is and where it's headed. Well, it sounds interesting, like interesting it setup. Is. It is. The book takes place in Australia and the big nowhere is the Australian outback where Seb and his younger brother and his father have moved to a cattle ranch and uh, after his mother dies. They're there for a couple years before Jake, the other character, moves in with his parents at the next huge plot of land. And they, they're growing canola, I guess. I never knew that canola was actually something that started canola oil. I don't know why I wouldn't have realized that. But no, they're growing canola. And the, the two families are literally the only people out here in the middle of this wide swath of land. And that's why it's called the Big Nowhere. And okay, this isn't mystery related, but canola is a plant. Yes, where canola oil comes from. I guess that, like you said, it should be obvious, but I never knew that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, you know, olive oil, <laughs> peanut oil, canola oil. Uh, <laughs> yeah, guess. it makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense. We're city kids, you and me. Obviously. Yeah. And uh, so, what kind of rating are you giving this book? Or well, let me just say that uh, it was really wonderfully written. There's a, a fair amount of Australian slang, as we all know from when I was reading Garrick Jones's book. Yeah, I, I'm not as well versed in Australian as one would like, 
For example, Yaka. You know what Yaka is? Y-A-K-K-A? I have no idea. And I should because Garrick's a friend of mine, but I have no clue. Well, see, I thought Yaka. And, you know, you really can't tell these things from context. I thought, well, Yaka, maybe they're going to have a talk. Well, I looked it up and it's slang for hard work. So you, you may have to have a, a access to the urban dictionary or, you know, at least Australian slang hanging around. But it is just wonderfully written. And I give it a glowing recommendation. Glowing. Good recommendation. Yeah. And sounds fun. It is. It is. And it's got it's got the same mystery feel, but it doesn't. It's not a classic whodunit. Okay. And any news from uh, Recruit Tales this week? Well, you know, with everybody on shutdown, you can you can get ebooks from your local library, and uh, most of Recruit Tales books are available through your local library. If they're not there, you can actually send in a request. Every library's got a request book to be purchased, and in a request and they might get it for you certainly if enough people request them uh, they will in most libraries well at least the LA County Library you used to have to go in to get a library card but now with the COVID shutdown you can apply for one online and maybe otherwise uh, maybe sorry. and so people should check their local library to see if that's available there too. Check your local library maybe that, that sounds like a good thing LA Library is doing I would hope they're doing that across the country. Yes so you know if you if, uh, you don't have you don't have enough money to buy all the books you need for the lockdown that's the way to go okay well thanks justine and uh, i'm gonna get just sit back and listen and we got marco romante coming up oh i'm really looking forward to him i love his book well he told me you'll hear it in the interview he told me to thank you for the nice review you gave him ah he's welcome more than welcome it's deserved if you All if you're right. reviewing them it's deserved that's great uh, well, i'll review another book for you next week okay i'll see you then thanks bye we're sponsored by requeered tales preserving our lgbtq literary heritage one book at a time check them out at requeeredtales.com Today's guest is Marco Romante. He's worked for more than 20 years in the entertainment industry in Hollywood as a writer and studio publicist, primarily at Disney Touchstone. As a script doctor, he worked on dozens of feature films, television series, and specials. His first two LGBTQ mystery novels were published in 2019. The Jake Weston mystery series is aimed at the young adult market, but it's popular with all ages. Marco has been teaching writing seminars to young writers at libraries and high schools across California. His books are currently nominated for dozens of accolades, including Lambda, Rainbow, and Stonewall Awards. His debut novel won a Silver Award from the Independent Author Network. The series has been optioned for television. Marco lives with Jasper, his Labrador retriever, near Ocean in Santa Cruz, California. Hello, Marco. Hi, Brad. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's good to have you on the show. And I want to emphasize that, you know, your story is written for young adult readers, but as anybody that listened to Justine's review not long ago, uh, mm -hmm. it's definitely a hit with adults as well. So It is. My, my demographic uh, unusually seems to be middle-aged women. 
<laughs> well, that's quite that's quite a good uh, recommendation. There. Yeah, no, they're good readers, so I'll I'll take every fan I can get. Absolutely. Well, you're a smart man. <laughs> you know, let's start with your Hollywood time uh -huh. in Hollywood. There, how did you get into the entertainment industry? Oh, that's an interesting story. I um I started. A friend of mine was working on a, a pilot, and this was I was still in Northern California. He said, "Come down, and I can get you a job as a researcher on this pilot." And I said, okay. And I went down and it was just going to be for a couple of weeks. And the executive producer was a woman named Lynn Bolin, who a uh, very famous, uh, she was a NBC executive, one of the first women NBC executives. And I worked really, really hard for her on this uh, pilot. And she gave me a writing credit, which they're not supposed to do. You know, there's a thing with the union. And so she basically gave me a writing credit on the pilot and um, bought my way into the Writers Guild. And that's kind of how it started. She's, interestingly, if you ever saw the movie Network, um, she, the woman that Faye Dunaway plays is based on Lynn Boland's life. One of my all-time favorite movies. Oh yeah, I'm mad as hell, I'm not gonna take it. And that's, so the woman, the Faye Dunaway character is Lynn. Great lady, she just passed away not too long ago, but she was a great woman. And she bought my way in. And once I got into the, uh, the Writers Guild, then it was just uh, one job after the next. You know, it's interesting. That's, I hear that a lot from actors, that somehow they sneak in a credit mm -hmm. and all of a sudden they're in the Actors Guild. And yeah, well, I got, I got a really good agent um, through, uh, through Lynn and through uh, Marty Pacetta was the director of this pilot and he directed the Academy Awards. And then he said, why don't you come and work with me on the awards for a couple of years? And... You know, you just get to know people, you, uh, you know, kiss up to the right people and then just keep offering you jobs. And then the thing with Disney came about and I got a real job. So the job at Disney was more of a steady paycheck, not a great paycheck, but still a steady one. And was that as a script doctor? Script doctor. Yeah. Which is um, sometimes it was more than just being a doctor. I felt like I was the script mortician or even the script exorcist, because some of the things that came across my desk were really uh, beyond the pale. Well, and what, pray tell, is a script doctor? So what a script doctor does is a lot of times the studio or a producer who has a development deal will option a book or they'll option a, um, a spec script and they'll pay the money for it. And then as soon as the producer gets it, the first thing that they always want to do is change everything. So I was the one of the in-house people um, which was cheaper than them actually going outside and hiring another writer. The producer would sit me down and hand me the script. I would read the script and they would go, okay, we want this and this and this changed about it. And the third act doesn't work, or, you know, we want a new character or we want to change something. And then I would go back and, and do that for them. A lot of times it was just about cutting. A lot of times scripts are too long and they want them uh, chopped down a little bit. So it's just editing. You know, you make me think of a, a political rally that I was at or a dinner and uh, I'm not going to mention the author, but the person next to me mentioned to the author, you know, I really enjoyed your movie. And the author was like, that wasn't my movie at all. <laughs> oh. But what I, what I wrote compared to what turned out in the movie was, was entirely different things and sounds very similar to what you did because oh, they're two different animals. Yeah. Let me tell you a story. I'll, I'll tell you one quick Disney story. There was um, the script was coming in and I heard um, that Disney had bought this script and it was about a prostitute. And I was really interested. I was like, that doesn't sound like, you know, even Disney slash Touchstone or Hollywood Pictures. So I found out that Gary Marshall was going to direct it. He's the guy who created Happy Days. 
Mm-hmm. And so the script was called 3000. And Gary Marshall's assistant was a friend of mine, a, a woman named Blair. And I said, what is this script? Send it over to me. She sent it over to me. It was a very dark script about a, um, a sex worker in Hollywood, a woman who uh, ended up with a drug habit. The writer was uh, a guy named J.F. Lawton. But um, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was in charge of uh, the picture department, he had picked up the script, God knows why. And then as soon as they got it, they brought it to all of us, the, the in-house writers, and they wanted it completely changed. And that script ended up becoming Pretty Woman. That was going to be my guess. Yeah, a drug addict prostitute doesn't sound like a typical Disney film. No, but what was interesting, and 3000, which is what, when I read the script, I, the first thing I wrote on the, on the cover of the script was, this is the worst um, title ever, because it tells you nothing. You know, 3000, what does that mean? The 3000 was the amount that he paid to have the prostitute for the week. But there's a thing in Hollywood where the hooker with the heart of gold is a classic, uh, sort of a, a classic premise. Mm-hmm. And what Katzenberg wanted was he wanted to turn it into a fairy tale. So it became a kind of a Cinderella story, which Disney is obviously very um, in tune with. Um, And it became sort of this rags to riches Cinderella tale, which is also, you know, sort of a classic theme. But it was nothing like the original script, not anything like it. Well, and I'll tell you something else that's nothing like reality. The the final scenes where Richard Dreyfuss is, not Richard Dreyfuss. Richard Richard Gere. Gere Is climbing up the ladder to the the, uh, building that she lived in. To her apartment, yeah. To her apartment. I lived in that hotel. It's a hotel. It's a flea bag motel. Yeah. It, it was not one of the best part times in my life. And I can tell you the inside looked nothing like her cute little apartment. Oh. <laughs> it, 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 it was a scary place. I've heard they uh, updated it since then, but it was a very scary place. Well, what was funny, too, is, you know, um, J.F. Lawton still got the writing credit on the script which um, he, you know, it was very, very different than what his original script was. And he ended up winning a BAFTA for it and a WGA award for it. Wow. Very interesting, right? Same as uh, Matt Damon and... um, uh, Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck, yeah, they wrote Good Will Hunting, but they really didn't. Really, it um, it was Gus Van Sant, the director, who took that thing apart because that script was originally something like 900 pages. And they oh, killed okay. off the Robin Williams character. So very interesting how much um, scripts can change. And they ended up winning an Academy Award for it. So there yes, you, go. you just put a knife through my heart there. Yeah, sorry. Oh, that's all right. I know they're how not Hollywood good writers. I mean, they're great actors. They're not good writers. I live in LA. I know how Hollywood works. No big you surprises for me. Yeah. Well, what would you say are some of the differences between writing a screenplay and writing a novel? Oh, that's uh, that's a great question, Brad. Actually, um, a novel is really the finished product. You know, you hand someone a novel and the whole thing takes place in their mind. So um, it's really a complete thing. Whereas a screenplay is really just a blueprint. It's just kind of a roadmap for what the thing is going to be. And everybody who's involved in filmmaking will take the screenplay apart looking for their piece. The actors will look at their lines and try to figure out what emotion they're going to give. The costumer is looking at what the scenes are and what they're wearing. Are they rich or poor? What era is it? Um, the production designers looking at how he's going to address the set and the composers trying to figure out what kind of music would go with the feeling of it. So everybody has a job to do and they're just looking at the screenplay as a way to give them a blueprint of what the final product is going to be. So they're very, very different. Also screenplays have rules. Um, every minute 
in a, in a movie is basically one page of a screenplay. So two hour movie is a 120 page screenplay. Whereas a lot of novelists I know can't even, you know, they can barely say hello and introduce the main character in 120 pages. Yeah. Short stories are hard for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be tough. Yeah. So screenplays, you know, screenplays definitely have rules. I mean, the thing that we have in common is their stories. I mean, we're storytellers and as a writer, that's what you're trying to do. And in a screenplay though, everything in a screenplay has to do one of two things. It either has to reveal character or move the story forward. If it doesn't do one of those two things, then there's probably no reason for it to be in the screenplay. And so I try to translate that back into my novel writing. And when I'm writing a novel, I want it to be a page turner. I want people to really burn through it. So I'm doing those things too. I, I try not to walk my readers down the scenic path and have too much flowery description about things. I'm trying to tell them a good mystery story and really keep it at a fast clip. And I think I appreciate all the time that I spent at Disney learning kind of those skills because I think it's made me a better novelist. Well, and it allows the readers to fill in the blanks themselves. Exactly. You don't want to give them too much. You want to give them just a little bit. And if you can show it rather than say it, it's much better because then it's taking place in their mind as, as they're reading, they're seeing it. So, um, and there's a lot of other tricks, I think, with mystery writing. You want to make nice um, short chapters, so little bite-sized chapters, which each chapter kind of gives a clue or moves the plot forward a little bit so that people can read them quickly. I mean, I look at my books, it's, it's not great literature, but I look at them as kind of like books that people will read while they're on vacation or, you know, by the swimming pool or, or while they're in quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of time to do that right now. Exactly. Um, are you familiar with Lawrence Block? I am. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Okay. He yeah. wrote the Burglar series, which um, I love. His characters are wonderful. The, 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 the mysteries themselves aren't so hot, but I think there's 16 books in that series. Mm-hmm. And I read every one, and it wasn't until I was done reading that somebody pointed out not once did he ever describe the main character. Oh, and I, that's and I thought, great. I thought, I can picture him totally in my head. I, I, and, I, and I looked, and they were right. But I knew that character, what he looked like from head to toe. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I mean, with me, all of my characters are kind of based on people that I know a little bit. I mean, it's kind of, they're kind of mashups of people that I know. So I sort of describe them. I've kind of taken the shortcut because I don't really have to make them up. I know who these people are. So I just describe them a bit as they are. So, but I think that's interesting to never describe the main character is great because it totally leaves it up to the reader. And the fact that I didn't even notice that. Oh, yeah. that's But you saw him in your mind. Exactly. And still do. So. Yeah. See, I think that, so those, that's a rule. I mean, you would never think to say, never describe your main character. That, that seems like uh, totally opposite of what you should do. But I think there really are no rules. The, the only one rule that I have is don't be boring. Yeah. So, as long as you're not boring, you can pretty much do whatever you want. Yep, rules are made to be broken. I think uh, in writing, that's probably one of the most true things there is compared to others. Exactly. But great characters, I mean, that's that's a necessary thing. If you have great characters, then I think the readers or the the people who are watching will will forgive you a lot of other things. Well, speaking of great characters, let's mm. talk about your Jake Weston mystery series. Okay. What kind of person is Jake? Well, I'll tell you something. Um, 
this series is written for a young adult audience. I mean, that was my main idea. And so I have read a lot of queer young adult uh, novels, which there's dozens and dozens of them. And they always have the same main character. It's an awkward uh, boy who's just realized that he's gay and he's very introverted and shy and he's probably a a writer himself or he's an artist of some sort. He's not athletic. And so that's always this prototypical main gay character. And then the story is always about him coming out. He falls in love with some, uh, you know, big hunk of a jock who probably barely realizes he's alive and is probably straight. And then they get together, usually. And then it's a secret of whether or not, you know, they let out the, you know, whether they're outed or whether they come out. So it was coming out and coming of age and coming to terms with being gay. And I hated that. Mm-hmm. So my main character. That, that story does sound familiar. It's, I mean, <laughs> it's in everyone. And that's the thing. I wanted there to be main gay characters who are teenage characters, but who had already um, dealt with being gay. That wasn't the issue. They happen to be gay, but they're dealing with a mystery. So the prologue of my first book is every story is a love story, but this one has a murder and a ghost. And so right there, I sort of made three promises to the reader that if you stick with the book, I'm going to give you a love story, but I'm also going to give you a murder and I'm going to give you a ghost. And so then it's my job as the writer to, um, to fulfill those promises. And so Jake is the opposite. I tried to make him the opposite of all of those things. He's not awkward. He's proud of being gay. He'll let everyone know he's gay. He's great looking. He's athletic. He's rich. And so, of course, the, the criticisms that I get on Goodreads and other places is that he's too over the top. You know, he's too good to be true. But the, the thing with that is, I mean, my comeback to that is that there are people like that in the world. And especially if you look at these communities, like where I'm writing is a, is a private boys school that's kind of like Eaton is the first book. And then the second book, um, the, uh, the Butcher of Oxford, takes place at Oxford University. And believe me, there's a lot of people walking around Oxford and Cambridge and Stanford and Harvard that are like that. They're good looking, they're athletic, they're very intelligent, and they come from privileged backgrounds. And so those people do exist. And I wanted to make my character, my main character, this really amazingly great protagonist who does seem a bit over the top, but he also has his flaws. So in book three, I deal a lot more with his flaws. He drinks, you know, far too much for a teenager. He's very um, kind of obsessed with the idea of suicide. He can be a bit of a snob. You know, some people have accused him of trying to, uh, trying to buy the affections of others with all of his money. So he confronts all of those, um, all of those issues in book three. I bring in a, an antagonist who's another gay character who doesn't like him at all. And the two of them are both in love with the same boy. So they go at it like only two young gay guys can, you know, taking swipes at each other. You know, as you were describing him, I'm going to show my age here. I was picking, picturing uh, Ryan O'Neill in Love Story. I love Ryan O'Neill's story. Yeah, well, I exactly. love Ryan O'Neill, but back then. But anyway, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what you were just describing. And remember, she called him preppy, 
And she yes. was making fun of him because, because he was this perfect kind of a guy. There's another one too. If you think of the way we were Hubble Gardner, the mm-hmm. Robert Redford character is very much like that too. Yep. Good looking and smart and, 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 uh, you know, just all around has every, has every advantage in life. So I don't know. I think that's interesting. I think it's different at least for this genre. And I want positive gay role models for, for people. And I, I, I talk to a lot of kids and they love the, they love the character. Everybody wants to meet Jake Weston. Well, and it sounds like you still had some of the typical teenage troubles that go, that most teenagers go through drinking and that sort of thing. Yeah. And the first book deals a lot with um, the ideas of, of the gay teens deal with, which is um, suicide and being bullied and all of those kind of issues, which are really important issues, they're not, you know, the, I think the, the number one goal um, is to entertain. And so I try to do an uh, entertaining uh, novel. But the second goal can be to inform. And I think it's an obligation to kind of bring these issues up because it's things that uh, real people of this age group are dealing with. Well, I love the idea of not just gay kids, but straight kids walking around carrying books with gay characters in them, and especially if they're seen in a positive light. Uh, so it thrills me that you write for a young adult audience, and, and I'm, I'm happy anytime somebody does. But why does that draw your interest? You know, I think it, it's, it's just like um, there's an old story about C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Uh, Tolkien were sitting around in a pub one day, and they were complaining that the books that they wanted to read didn't exist in the world. And so they decided they were going to write them. And I think that's it. I think that growing up, I really wanted these books to exist and they didn't at that time. So, um, so I felt like, you know what, why not a gay mystery? And there's not just gay relationships in it. There's straight relationships as well. And there's, you know, it's just the world as it really is. But the main characters um, happen to be gay and I wanted those to exist. And so, uh, you know, I started writing. <laughs> Just happened to be gay. I love that when I hear that from a writer. Yeah. Well, and gay kids are, are more than two times li- more likely to commit suicide because, because they're gay. So, you know, they're still, ha- they're still in families that, that don't want um, them to be a part of their lives. They're still thrown on the streets. Um, I'm really worried about uh, the gay homeless because um, there's a lot of gay youth on the street that have been thrown out by their families. And what do they do? In a time like this, when shelters are closed and, you know, we can't get more than six feet away from anybody, it's, it's a real problem. I mean, it's something that we really need to consider in our lives. Yeah, I spend a lot of time in Hollywood, but for those that don't live, aren't familiar with Los Angeles, Hollywood's actually a neighborhood of LA. It's not its own city, but there are a lot of gay kids that I guess when they're thrown out of their homes, think, oh, I'll go to Hollywood. That's a safe place to go and maybe I'll get rich or whatever. I don't know the reason, but it tends to be a magnet. And the number of homeless gay kids there is just astounding. It's scary. It's it's really sad, really sad. So I do, I wonder myself, what, what are they doing right now? Yeah, I mean, I'm worried. I'm worried for for this generation, this generation of kids, because it seems like there's a lot of meanness um, online. What I try to do is stay off (laughs) of, you know, there's a certain amount when you write novels and you're in this business, you have to do a little bit of promotion. You have to be on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram to a certain degree. But um, it's not my favorite thing, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Yeah, There's a lot of meanness out there. 
there's definitely even even for adults there's a lot of meanness when it comes to online yeah i'd much rather read a good book look <laughs> and i hope everyone else does too exactly so, i by the way i read your book and i loved it well thank you see uh, and again again the title you know body in the bathhouse that tells me what the book is going to be about i can figure out from that title what what to expect from the book you know, I really, though, had to, I hemmed and hawed over that title because I, I was worried people would think it's erotica. And <laughs> I, at the end, I just said, you know what? I like the title, damn it. I'm going to stick with it. Well, my, you know what? I, I dealt with titles, too. And, you know, Murder at White Oak tells you what you're going to get. And I've had mm-hmm. some people say, you know what? I was really shocked by the murder. I was like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> murder at White Oak. <laughs> people were saying oh you should have a trigger you know there should be a trigger warning because and it was like give me a break it, it, it's a murder mystery no no trigger warnings no I'm, trigger I'm, warnings okay I'm emphatically the against first them. word <laughs> well we are going to take a break now for you know oh what? great the wheel the yes. wheel spin yes. the wheel give me the question okay you're going to get awkward questions authors get okay so kick back here while I spin the wheel no whammies. Okay. You get one of my favorites, actually. Oh, good. It's been a while since I think I've asked this one. Why don't you go where all the money is? Why aren't you huh. writing erotica? <laughs> erotica. Oh, is that where all the money is? I didn't know that. So if, okay, if that's where all the money is, then that's where I'll go next. That's what they say. Well, is that true? No. Like, <laughs> that, that can't be true. That can't be true. I, see, like I am going where the money is. My my books have been optioned for television, and believe me, that's where the money is. So I, I'm selling out for the for the big leagues. Erotic is not going very well. Of course, no nobody's really filming right now. But uh, no, no one is uh, filming. Yeah, certainly not uh, porn industry. So, oh, yeah, like porn. Oh, if it were really like you, know, you know what? I'm not interested in that. To me, that that just I don't really read books that have really, really graphic, graphic sex, because it sort of takes it, takes it away from me. I like there to be a little bit, you know, some sex, but a little bit of mystery. And for my, you know, my target, I, you can't really write uh, in the YA genre and get really graphic. You, you know, I have to, I have to pull it back just a bit. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Talking about that, you kind of led me into a question. What is more important to you or what, what do you think is more important Great characters or great plot? 100% characters. Okay, you kind of answered that earlier. Can you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, and you know what? I've heard some other authors talk about this too, and I think it's really true. Uh, not only your main characters, so secondary characters, every character that you write in the book should be really um, well thought out. And including, including who the murderer is, the villain, has to be well thought out and have to have a strong motivation and believe every villain believes that they're the hero of their own story. So characters, and the reason is, if you have a book that has really, really great characters, and maybe the plot's not great, it can still be a great book. But you can have the greatest plot in the world, and if the characters are terrible, people will just put it down. Because you have to believe. You have to love the characters. And I think as a writer, we have to love our characters first, um, or else no one else is going to love them. And so characters are everything for me. I mean, I start and end with, with characters. And when I'm teaching my little class to, um, to high school students, that's the first thing we do is we start to drop characters before we even think about a plot. You want interesting, great, fun, 
three-dimensional characters that are flawed and you know have make mistakes and and grow you want people to because that's real life that's who we are um and then you can put them into the craziest plot in the world that is true I, I read a book. I'm trying to think of what was it called? I was, it's a book about this, this woman who becomes a nanny and um, she's a nanny for these two kids and these two kids catch fire. They can uh, combust. They don't actually get hurt, but they, they catch fire. So the book, I mean, the, the premise is just completely bonkers, right? But the characters are so good that um that you you root for him you root for this woman who's a nanny i wish i could tell you what the name of the book was i can't remember the name of it now i read about a book a week so i go through them pretty fast but i'm impressed good for you yeah no and not all of them are good you know i i um i appreciate justine because she reads far more than i do um and she's got to be reading a lot of books right now she reads a ton of books. She always has. So uh, I was fortunate to get her on the show because her life didn't change that much. Uh, but yeah, she she reads a lot, like almost no one I know. Yeah, she's great. I mean, and I think that's good too. I think I think to be a great writer, you have to be a really great reader because that's how we learn to to do our craft. And I think, you know, if you think about musicians, any great musician is always a big fan of other musicians and music in general. So we have to, we have to um, be exposed to other writers to be a good writer ourselves. See what else is out there. The music analogy is an excellent one. Yeah, don't you think that's true? I mean, I think anybody. If you look at athletes too, I know a lot of athletes, uh, baseball players and stuff, and they're always big fan. They're they're fans of all different sports. Yeah. Um, so it just you know this is our this is our thing. We're writers, and so we have to be great readers. And you learn a lot. That's the way to learn. Well, and writing is hard. I, I don't, it, it is really hard work. So if you don't love it or at least love stories, you, you probably aren't going to be successful. I know some are. They churn them out. But I think that's rare. You're absolutely right. Writing is hard work. I, I'll tell you this. I heard a podcast with um, Lee Child. Do you know Lee Child? He wrote the um, the Jack Reacher thrillers. Yes. Like, I, I mean, wasn't familiar with his name, but I know Jack Reacher. Yeah. So he wrote like 24 books of Jack Reacher, which I don't think Jack Reacher is that great a character. I think he's a he's a bit of a dick, but those the books are super popular, all right. And Lee Child, I, I heard him on a podcast, and he said, first of all, he never writes with an outline, no outline at all. He just sits down and starts writing, which I think you can get away with in a thriller. I, I don't think you can get away with it in a mystery, right? Uh, but the thing that he said, which really blew me away, was that they were asking him about rewrites, you know, and editing, and he goes, "Oh, I don't rewrite at all. I barely change a single paragraph." So apparently he writes the manuscript and it comes out completely perfect. And then it just goes to the publisher and gets published. So well, obviously he's lying. Yeah. That, <laughs> if, if that's true, he's a better man than I am. That's for sure. It, it's a complete lie. Well, I was, why would he do that? What other, other writers are listening. Why would he lie about every writer I know is a, is a constant editor. You know, they say that novels are really never finished. They're just at some point abandoned and you let it go to be published. You're always, we're always, I change a comma here or a word there. So I just, I don't believe it. I don't, I think Lee Child is a, is a liar. I think he edits his stuff. Well, I would, I would say I probably agree with you. Well, Marco, I got to tell you, I could go on forever with you. 
And I absolutely hate that it's the end of the show. Is it over? Brad? Yes, I told it you it would so go fast. fast. Oh my I told God. you it would go fast. So <laughs> oh, well, I, I hope we, people we, enjoyed it. You know what I mean? I, I know that a lot of people are shut in and listening to podcasts, and I, I hope this was fun. And I hope that people that are writing will keep on writing. You know, and kids, I learned so much from kids. I do these, these seminars with kids, and I've learned so much from them and hearing their ideas of the stories that they want to tell. And we should, we should each remember that we're all storytellers. Everybody has a story to tell. And um, if you just sit down and do it, everybody's cooped up right now, you know, start writing, start writing. Good advice, <laughs> and especially with the kids. Yeah, no, they're, they're great. Sto- I mean, you know what? Teenagers have amazing stories to tell and stories that need to be told. So I, I, hope that, um, I hope that we will soon be hearing about great, great young adult writers. That could be one great thing that we get out of all this is some great writers that grew up through this. And let's hope so. Let's hope that that's a positive that we can pull out of every be- everybody being stuck in their house. And you know what? I, I, the one advi- here's one piece of advice I'll give to everybody. Start off with a clean notebook and a dirty mind. <laughs> it always works. <laughs> that's Hollywood if I ever heard it. Yeah, it's so true. Oh, wait a minute. You were going to tell me one thing. You're running a special. I am. I'm giving away the, my, my first book, Murder at White Oak, for free um, to anybody that wants to download it on uh, Amazon for the Kindle. Both books are available on Kindle Unlimited anyways, if you have, happen to have that. And then the other thing is all the paperback books, anybody that buys a paperback from now until we're not all cooped up again, which is probably two or three months, um, I'm donating all that money to the Second Harvest Food Bank so that hopefully some of the um, hungry people that are on the streets will be able to, to get some food. So I would recommend to people get your free book and buy the paperback at the same time. Cause that's great that you're doing that. Oh, well, thanks. I appreciate that. And, and I really do want to do, want to do that. And I hope people will, um, will, will take a look and, and if they can buy a paperback, um, second harvest food bank is a really, really great, uh, great charity. Well, on behalf of a lot of people, I'm going to thank you for doing that. Well, you gave me the idea, so you get credit for that idea, Brad, okay? <laughs> well, thank you. I'll, I'll take any credit for anything. All right. Well, thanks again. And tell Justine thanks, too. She gave me very nice reviews, and I appreciate it. I'll be sure to pass that along, and thank you for being on the show. Hit the subscribe button wherever you hear our show, so you don't miss a single episode. Tell a friend, too. Thank you for listening.